Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. For more information about Adventure Church, please visit our website at adventurechurch.tv. Now, prepare your heart for a message from God's Word. This week, we're going to talk about pride, and uh, that pride is something we all can struggle with. And the definition of pride, if you were to look it up, simply says that is to, is you have the quality of having an excessively high opinion of oneself or of one's importance. So today, if you struggle with pride at some point, let me see your hands today. If you say, hey, I would struggle with pride. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're struggling with pride right now. And you didn't even realize it, that, you know, I'm struggling with pride. Uh, I always think of, you know, uh, it's funny, especially ladies can be a little bit more sensitive of their appearance in pictures. And so like my wife, if there's like a group photo of our entire family, she immediately will go and look to herself. How many of you ever do that, right? You see a group photo, you immediately just look at yourself. You're like, that's a terrible photo. You know, there's no way that we're going to print that or put that up. But look at the kids. They're actually looking and smiling. Oh, yeah, they, they look okay. But, you know, look at my hair. That one piece was hanging in front of my eye. Oh, we got to get rid of it. You know, and we, we think that, and that's just a, you know, a simple way of thinking, like most of us, and, and as I was praying before today, I thought about, you know, every step of this series, that, that really what the enemy tries to do in our lives to assassinate God's plan is he tries to get the focus on us. That's really what it's about. Bitterness, it, although you could have been hurt and your pain is very real, and what happened to you is, I'm not trying to downplay that, you know, part one, that... It, the focus becomes on us. It's not on God. It's not on those around us. It, the focus becomes lust the very same way. It's a very selfish thing that we could do. And so pride is something that we all struggle with that can easily pull us away from God's plan because God says that he's really the opposite of pride and he likes to deal with people who aren't proudful. And we find the first example of pride is actually in the devil himself. We're talking about how the devil uses things to pull us away from God's plan, to to assassinate God's plan. And Satan, before he was thrown out of heaven, he was one of the top three angels. So it's God, and God has Michael, and he has Gabriel, and then he had this guy named Lucifer. And, And Lucifer was the worship leader in heaven. And the Bible says when we get to heaven, the one thing, so if you don't like music and it's, you know, it's a little loud, and, and, and sometimes our music is loud because we, we set up church. This room wasn't designed to be church, so it can be louder, and we have to try to adjust to those things. Um, I, I noticed it this morning sitting in the front row. I'm like, wow, it's loud. But, but Satan was the worship leader. And if you don't like worship, you're not going to like heaven because the Bible describes that heaven is once we get, we just begin to give God the, all the praise that he deserves. And so imagine Lucifer, Satan, he's up there, he's leading worship, you know, he's conducting the choir, all these angels. It says that he was a bright, shining star, that he was a glorious creature, and he's leading all the worship. And then again, he starts to think about, well, hey, you know, I'm pretty good at this. And the focus starts to come on him. And he's going, well, why don't you guys start praising me? In fact, you know, God does an okay job, but... He seems like he's got a pretty easy job. I think I could do what he could do. And he begins to get this internal thing that's going on. And the Bible says because of that, that God began to recognize his pride. And he threw Satan out of heaven and all the angels that followed him. And that was the first example that we have of pride and where, where Satan was thrown out. So the one thing that cost Satan eternity with God, that caused his separation from God, was pride. And so I think it's one of the tools that he uses the most in our own lives because he knows the damage that it can cause. And so today we're going to talk about it in Revelations 
12, 7 through 9. And if you have your iPhone or smartphone and you've downloaded our app, you can follow along in, on the Adventure Church app. The, the notes will also be on, your screen this, on the screen this morning. But there it talks about where Satan was thrown out of heaven. And in verse 8, it said, And the dragon lost the battle, and his angels were forced out of heaven. Then Isaiah chapter 14, 13 through 15, it says this. How you, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star. That's Lucifer. Son of the morning. Isn't it amazing how he describes him that? Where Paul said, you know, as Halloween's here, we often think is that the devil is the, the pitch por- the that has the pitchfork and the horns on his head, and he, he wants to scare us, and you know, he uses those tactics. And Paul said, no, that, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Well, that's what he was. So he knows how to play that part. It said, you were a shining star. You have, you've been thrown down to the earth. You destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will. Look at your neighbor and say, I will. I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away from the north. I will climb to the highest of the heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depth. So Satan begins to have this internal thing where he says, I will. I. The focus becomes on him. It's about me. How many of you struggle with the I will, it's about me syndrome? You don't have to raise your hands this time. It's okay. Because we all do. We all struggle with that. When, you know, Jess and I were on a retreat a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, and, and this pastor who is a mentor of mine, he was just telling that this season of his life, he's in his 40s now, and he has a very large church of about 3,500 people, and, and what God has been challenged. So he's pouring into these young couples in ministry, <clears throat> and he challenges the men, and he just says, you know, the easiest thing to do as a pastor is to get the focus on you and not on your family, and that your role in, in this life is not to pastor the church. Your number one priority is to lead and shepherd your family, to love your wife as Christ loved the church and to love your kids. And so it's easy for us though, and I don't know if, if you struggle with this, but I can find myself after a long day of work and lots of meetings and I come home and, and I just wanna sit on the couch and I just wanna watch ESPN and I just wanna watch a football game and I don't want to deal with my kids, and I don't want to help get them ready for bed, and I don't want to change their diaper, and I don't want to help feed them dinner, and I just think, well, my wife should do that, you know? You're the, you're, and you're all looking at me like you don't feel that way sometimes. Um, but we all feel that way, where we can, we can but it, because the focus so easily becomes on us, and the enemy will use that to say, feed yourself, do what you want to do, don't take care, don't do your responsibilities, because that's what he was. And what we can see from the I will thing, <coughs> excuse me, is that pride is an internal attitude before it comes an external action. It's an internal attitude before it becomes an external action. And so usually I can overcome my selfishness and my pride and I will step up and do what needs to be done around the house and to help my wife and to serve her because that's what I should do. (coughs) Again, you know, I promise I won't hawk one and spit it out. But be praying for me as I preach so I can get through this whole message today. But pride (coughs) becomes an internal thing. Ezekiel 28, 17 says this, and this is again talking about Lucifer. It said, your heart, which is internal, was filled with pride because of all of your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So so I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. (coughs) Pride is so dangerous, and the enemy can use it very quickly to assassinate God's plan for our life because he knows 
how much God detests pride. Why? Because he was thrown out of heaven because of it. It cost him everything. Eternity with God, the thing that we're all longing for, Satan, it cost him all of that because of his pride. And so Proverbs 16, 5 says <coughs> that the Lord detests the proud, that they will surely be punished. So again, using Satan as our example, that the Lord detests the proud, they will surely be punished. That pride goes <coughs> before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. And so before we get into the bad pride, because there's plenty of that, I also want to talk about pride from a good point of view, because pride can also be good. And I would call that that I am determined not to fail pride. Second Corinthians ten seventeen says, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, so we, that we can boast, but that we should boast only in the Lord. So if you want to be proud, be proud about God. Be proud about what he's done in your life. Be proud about where he's brought you from. And so to me, this pride is less about pride in yourself, and it's more about confidence in God. And so as we watch the Buckeyes have another statement win yesterday, right? Amen. Thank you all for praying (coughs) with me for that. And uh, I was hoping Florida State would lose so we would have a shot, but... You know, things can still happen. We can still pray for that. But, you know, we have, in, in Columbus, you have pride in your Buckeyes, right? Some of you are Michigan fans. I know that. I still pray for you all the time that God will, you know, you'll come to your senses. You'll change your ways and repent and, you know, get in line with everything. But, but in this culture in Columbus that people, you know, they have pride in their Buckeyes. And obviously that pride can go too far where, you know, I was actually talking with somebody the other day about how I've had to mature in my, in my, as a Buckeye fan. Because when the Buckeyes would lose, it could ruin my week. I mean, it could ruin two weeks, you know, where I'd have to come to church the next day and like fake it, you know, just like, I'm happy to be here, you know, it's great. And I'd be like, man, the Buckeyes lost, my world is ruined. And it shouldn't be that way. (coughs) So our pride can definitely do that. But this is when we have the pride and the, the courage to stay in the fight when we'd rather quit. That could be a good pride to say, I'm not gonna fail, I'm not gonna quit. I'm not going to give up on God. I'm not going to give up on the plan that he has for my life. I'm not going to give up on my marriage. I'm not going to give up my family. I'm proud of who I am in God. I'm proud of where I've come from. I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of my kids, right? So there can be a good pride that motivates us and keeps us in. You know, it's a pride, though, that's not in yourself. It would be in your team. It's not about you. Again, the focus isn't about me. Like, my family's so great. I'm proud of my family. Didn't I do a good job with them? You know, like, you see their costumes around today? That was my idea. You know, where, again, it comes all on me. But we're proud of them because of what God has done in our life and what he's doing. And so I have pride, and we all should have pride, but our pride should be in our God and what he's done, not in what we've done. So there is a good pride, but today we're going to focus primarily on three areas of pride that I feel like we all struggle with at some point or another that can really assassinate, that the enemy will, will get you in his sights and used to destroy the plan of God for your life. And the first pride of that is this, is that I am better than you pride. That I am better than you pride. Critical attitude, critical heart. You tend to, if you have this pride and and you find yourself in that spot, you know, you can be very critical of those around you and everything that's going on. You know, you pick everybody apart. You know, you always have to be right. (coughs) Very argumentative. And that's the sense of pride where I'm arguing my point. I know that I'm right. Well, that's a sense of pride. That's a, an issue of pride. And we were talking about the Buckeyes a couple years ago. I had to realize that I was a terrible Buckeye fan, okay? I was, a, I was, I was the, the, the bad pride for the Buckeyes. And it was when Luke Fickle was coach, okay? And he decided to start the worst quarterback 
in the history of Ohio State to ever wear a uniform and to start by the name of Joe Bowserman. And if Joe, if you're watching this online, I'm really sorry and I apologize for that. That was the old me two years ago. He's not watching online, so it's okay. Um, <clears throat> but I struggled with that. Like, I, so I would sit there and I'm watching. The, my, do you guys remember that season? I know we haven't lost in like two years now, but it was an awful season to be a Buckeye fan. It was terrible. You know, they're losing, they're getting destroyed. Trestle's gone, Pryor's gone, you know, and, and, and here is Luke Fickle <coughs> trying to save the team, trying to keep it all together. <clears throat> and I'm watching these games and I'm watching us lose. And I was living in Oklahoma, so I was like in Big 12 territory, all these people, you know, I'm just, and, and they're, I'm just dogging them. I'm like, man, this is the worst, this is the worst coach. He's awful, and so I started tweeting stuff. And how many of you know that you need to use a filter sometimes before you, you post things to your Facebook or to your Twitter or your Instagram, you know, that you need to make sure that you, you kind of run it through a filter, probably your spouse or a good friend to say, would that sound, no, that would sound really bad. So I started tweeting things, and someone in my church replies to my, and I was dogging Bowserman, I was dogging, you know, Fickle and just tearing them down, and, and someone goes, yeah, because you could do such, you know, so much better, Kyle. Like, you'd be an awesome football coach. You know so much about football. I'm sure if you were on the sideline, you'd do a really good job. And so I was, like, sitting there for, like, 15 minutes going, okay, how do I reply to that? <laughs> what do I say to that? Like, well, yeah, I could do. No, I couldn't do. And I don't know anything. And I don't know the dynamics of that team and what Fickle was dealing with and how he's just trying to keep it all together. <laughs> and obviously, from the insider's perspective of that university, he did a good enough job to stay on with one of the best coaches in the country, right? So he did a pretty good job. So it really humbled me in the sense that I started to, to think about, like, this is a bad pride that I have. That part of me actually thinks from what's coming out of my mouth, the internal was becoming external, and I thought, I'm better than him. I could do a better job than him. Anyone could see that Bowserman's an awful quarterback, and but I didn't know who was behind him. I didn't know what Braxton Miller was going through at that time. And eventually, <coughs> they moved Braxton Miller in there. But that's a sense of pride that's bad. And when I was <coughs> a youth pastor, when I first got into ministry, you know, I was training and, and we were developing a team. And for the longest time, I was getting frustrated because I felt like I didn't have anyone else that could do as good a job as me on the mic. And so I'd put people up there to like take up, an, to do announcements or take up an offering and they would stumble over it. And, and so eventually I just said, you know what, I'm just going to do it myself. No one can do it as good as me, so I'm just going to do it myself. I'm going to always do it. I'm going to do it. And so finally I was uh, talking to a friend who was in ministry and a leader, and I was just like, <clears throat> man, it just, you know, he's like, what's your challenges right now? What are the challenges you're facing? I'm like, I don't have anyone that can do it as good as me. And he just looked at me, he's like, you're not that good. <laughs> and I was like, and he was like, but sir, do you remember when you first started? And how you would fumble, you know, like you would stumble over your words a little bit, and I still do sometimes, you know, like, <clears throat> and I was like, well, yeah, and he was like, they're never going to get any good, you're never going to have help unless you let them have opportunity, he goes, that's, that, you're just being, you're just being, that's a sense of pride, that's a, something you're dealing with, <clears throat> and so we have that issue to do that, and, and people who have the I am better than you pride tend to, you know, always have to take all the credit, um, you know, they, I always think of, and, and I'm using a lot of football analogies this morning, and it's thankful it's that time of year, but we all know, like, the Terrell Owens, like, or the player on the team that when he scores, 
you know, he has the best touchdown dance, and it's all about me, and he throws his hands up, and he just kind of goes like this. And then, you know, the guy who scores a touchdown, he gives the ball to the referee, and he goes and celebrates with his teammates. <laughs> and so I love those guys, or the guys who give glory to God right away when they say, hey, you had an amazing game, you know, you did so good. And they, they pause, and they go, hey, look, I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't have the breath that I have if it wasn't for God. So I just want to thank God that he gave me this opportunity, gave me the skills to do this. And that's, that's the kind of pride that we need to have. And I love this quote that pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. When you see someone who's proudful and you see someone who's arrogant and it's all about them and the focus is on them, you immediately just go, ugh. Like, I don't want to be around you. I don't want to deal with you. You know, and eventually that's what pride do. It'll pull us away from God and the plan he has, but it'll also pull us away from the community that God wants us to be in. I am better than you, pride. I think about in Luke chapter 18, verses nine through four, (coughs) Jesus was telling the story of, and it said this, and starting in verse nine, it said, then Jesus told the story to some who had had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He said, two men went to the temple and to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. (coughs) I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed this instead. He beat his chest in sorrow, saying, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What a picture, right, in the Pharisees and if you know anything about that time, the Pharisees were very religious. They were, they were very focused on themselves. And the tax collectors were like the despised people. They were Jews that actually worked for the Roman government, so that gave them a bad start. And then they took advantage of people. So the, the tax would be, let's say, tax was $3,000. Well, they would collect that, and then they would collect another 1000 for themselves. So they would just distort the prices. And, and, and so they were cheating people, and no one liked them. And so Jesus compares the religious one with the worst of the worst. And he says, who do you think was justified before God? Who do you think, which prayer do you think pleased me? Which prayer do you think brought them closer to God? He said, the one who recognized his need for God. And so we have to make sure (coughs) that we don't become that guy. You know, we just talk about like, no one wants to be around the guy who's arrogant and proudful. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Don't allow yourself to get I am better than you pride. The second pride that can really destroy us and pull us away from God's plan is I can handle it myself pride. That's a huge thing that a lot of people deal with. And before we get into that, I did want to touch a little bit on false humility. Humility is simply this. I love this quote. It says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. So humility isn't saying, oh, I'm in, you know, you, you downgrade yourself, you know, you're always talking bad about yourself. For instance, let's say someone, you know, comes up to you and they're like, hey, that's a really nice shirt, it looks good on you. Oh, this old thing, you know, I just, you know, this is an old shirt, I just found it. Or, you know, you did a really good job. I, I used to struggle when I first got into preaching and 
people would come up to me all the time and they'd be like, hey, great job, you know, it was an awesome sermon, you did such a really good job. And I would be like, oh, all praise to God, you know, you know. He gave that word to me, and I, and I wouldn't take any of the credit. So it was a sense of false humility where people would be like, okay, and then someone, somebody funny came up to me and said, just say thank you, you know, like that's all you gotta do. Someone compliments you, just say thank you. That's it, that's not proudful. You're saying thank you very much, I appreciate that. And so growing in that, but false humility is when, you know, they, people, you know, they, the focus becomes on them. Have you ever been around anyone that likes to fish for compliments? I, no one else has been around people like that? But where you come in and, you know, and they're like, oh, um, you know, they just talk about bad about themselves, so you'll build them up. Like, oh, you know, I'm just so, I've been struggling with it. Oh, no, you look great. Or, you know, don't worry about that. You know, I couldn't believe I said that to me. Oh, you're fine. And, and so we, we say things, false humility, so that others will build up our pride. And that's usually based out of insecurity. So we can struggle with that. But I think the biggest part of I can handle it myself pride is just really uh, that we don't want to ask for help that we're proudful, and usually men struggle with this more than anyone else, and it's the, the cliche illustration of, you know, men never stop to ask for directions, right? That I can handle this myself. I know where we're going. Thank God for smartphones. Men don't have to be smart anymore. It tells us where we're going. But I remember one time when we first moved into our house, we were living in, in Missouri, and it was our first house. We'd moved from an apartment, and we got this house, and so I went out, and I got all the Christmas lights, and I was ready to decorate our house, and so I start decorating the house, and, and so I, I had like, I don't know what it was, a lot of lights, probably like 30 strands, and it, our house wasn't that big, so I had like five bushes, like 30 strands of light, so they were covered good, you know, our house was illuminated, so I had them all good, and Jess was helping me, and we got them on the tree, and moved it around, and so we, we you know, we were going out to dinner that night, we looked, it was like awesome, we took pictures of it, well, I come home, and half the lights are out. I'm like, man, what's going on? So I go pull up, and I thought some kid was like, you know, pulling a prank or whatever, and they were unplugging them or whatever, and I look, and they're all plugged in, and so I start to try to figure it out a little bit, and I realize that the, the last strand, that it was kind of burned a little, like the ballast in the light or the little deal had burned up, so I was like, oh, and I noticed that the little bag came with some extra ones, so I was like, oh, it's pretty common, I guess, for that to go out, so I replaced it. The next night, turn the lights on again, plug them back in. Come home later, half the lights are out. I'm like, man, what is going on here? So literally for like four or five nights, I kept replacing these little tiny things in the dollar strand of lights. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was like, I'm not going to waste my money. So I kept replacing all these little deals, putting them in, putting them in, putting them in. And finally, I, I humbled myself to call someone and say, hey, dude, I don't know what's going on. But I plug in my lights and they, they finally said, well, how many strands do you have plugged in together? And I was like, well, all of them are plugged in together. I only have one outlet outside. So what I did is I plugged all the lights in together, and then I just kept plugging it into the house. Well, those last couple strands, because you're only supposed to, by the way, as you're getting ready to decorate, you only can do like six together, okay? That's the limit. And I had like 30. (coughs) And so I I, I struggled for weeks, or I'm sorry, days, like, doing this and dealing with this and replacing it and going back to Walmart, getting another strand, plugging it back in. You know, I'm going, these lights are jacked up. All because I just wouldn't humble myself because I thought I can handle this myself. I don't need to call anyone else. I'm a man. I can handle it. It's my way. I'll figure it out. And finally, I called someone and I could have saved all myself that trouble. But people who struggle with I can handle it myself pride tend to think that, you know, my way is better. 
and I don't want to trust anyone else. So I don't trust you, and so I'll just do it by myself. I'm not going to allow you to help me because I don't know you or I don't trust you. And so we, we tend to, to want to do it all our way. And that goes back to the I am better than you pride. And so we don't want anyone else to help us because we think we can handle it ourselves. In Luke 15 through 17, the story of the prodigal son, where this son wanted all of his inheritance before his dad was passed away. So his dad gave him the inheritance. He goes out, he squanders it. He wastes millions of dollars. <coughs> he blows it all, and he finds himself living in with the pigs, eating what the pigs were eating. And he said, and he said this. So he finally came to his senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned about you and heaven, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so the prodigal son finally came to his senses. And I feel like today, when I was preparing this, that God, for some of you, he just wants you to come to your senses, that you can't handle it by yourself. Some of you, your, guys, your marriage is in, is, is in big trouble and you haven't reached out for help, you haven't asked anyone to help you, and you think, I can handle it on my own. We can get through this without anyone else's help. Some of you are battling addiction and and fighting things and issues that you've fought for so long, and you keep telling yourself, I can handle it. I'll be fine. I'll find a way to work it out. I'll find a way to get through this. And let me tell you, eventually I'll stop. You know, I can stop any time that I want. You know, I, I got it under control. I can handle it. And I'm telling you, If you're battling an addiction like that and you haven't stopped yet, you can't stop by yourself. You won't stop by yourself. And you need to humble yourself. You need to come to your senses and ask God for help. And you need to ask yourself, for friends for help, people around you, counseling, whatever you need to do to say, I can handle it myself. And most of us find ourselves away from God because he detests the proud. He separates himself from it because we go, God, I don't need you. I can handle it myself because we're unwilling to humble ourselves. So we have the I am better than you pride. I can handle it myself pride. And the last one today that a lot of us deal with is it doesn't apply to me pride. It doesn't apply to me. The rules don't apply to me. A good example of this. How many of you, and I do this, and and God's been kind of dealing with me a little bit, but you see a line of traffic, right, and it's backed up. The right-hand lane is backed up because everyone's getting on a highway and they need to be in the right-hand lane to merge onto the highway, but the left-hand lane's good, right? It's open and clear because those people aren't getting on the highway. And so, you know, you you go, hey, well, that lane's still good, so what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna just go all the way up and then I'm gonna turn on my blinker and I'm just gonna cut over in front of them. And I can remember that my dad and my grandpa would have this conversation, and my grandpa would always say, you know, the reason that you shouldn't do that is because what you're telling everyone else is that I'm better than you. I shouldn't have to wait. And my dad would always say, no, I'm just smarter than you are. But to see, and <clears throat> but that's pride, right? That's a sense of pride where it doesn't apply to me, where you, you cut someone off. And try, or here's another one where... You're at Walmart, and all the lanes are backed up because you know how Walmart is. They have 800 lanes, and there's usually three or four that are open, and so they're all backed up, but they got those you know, express lanes, and you're like, hey, that's good, and so you, t- you take a look at your cart, and you're like, well, it's 10 items or less, and well, I only got 16. That's not a big deal, and those six are really small, so you pop into the express lane, and, and those are, that's a sense of pride where the rules don't apply to me. 
I can do whatever I want. You know, I, if, it, if it pleases me, if it helps me better, then I don't obey the rules. And when it comes to our relationship with God and obedience to his word, that pride can look like this. I know the Bible says blank, but it doesn't really apply to me. I know the Bible says that drunkenness is condemned, that you shouldn't get drunk because of the damage it can do to not only yourself, but those around you. Throughout scripture, the Bible condemns drunkenness, not drinking, but drunkenness it condemns. So I know that the Bible says that, but God knows how hard I've worked all week. He knows what I'm dealing with. He knows the stress that I'm under. Rules don't apply to me. I know that the Bible says that, you know, that you should be involved and you should serve and you need to get involved with God's kingdom and help make a difference in the world and not just be about you, but to help other people to be involved in charities and to get outside of your comfort zone and to serve. I know the Bible says that, but God understands where I'm at right now. And we justify and we excuse our behavior. <laughs> and so the parts of the Bible that help us apply to us, but the other ones don't. And we talked a little bit about David and Bathsheba last week, King David, where he was the king. And the Bible described David as a man who was after God's own heart. And to do that, you have to be humble. And so David begins to think that, hey, the rules don't apply to me. I'm king. I can do whatever I want. So he takes another man's wife and sleeps with her and then commits murder to cover it up. And it goes through this whole charade of, of trying to get rid of what he did wrong. And, and that all stems back to a sense of pride where it doesn't apply to me. And for some of us, the plan of God, the enemy will use pride in that way to destroy the work that God has for you, the plan and purpose that he has for your life, where we can excuse our behavior because we don't think it applies to us. And so today as we close out and the worship team is going to come, you know, David, it was the pride that comes, and you've heard this before, that the pride comes before the fall. And for some of you, you've been battling pride, but thank God for his grace and his mercy that you haven't fallen yet. And it's not too late. And, and, and your marriage is still together. And that addiction hasn't totally ruined your life yet. And, and you can get help. And you can succeed. And you can still achieve the purpose that God has for you. Because forgiveness will always be available to you. But the consequences of your pride are irrevocable. You can't get out of it. If you allow pride... <laughs> to stand in the way of what God wants to do. <clears throat> you find yourself like David where, where he, he did humble himself and he did repent and he did come back to God, but it didn't erase what he did. His son still died and Uriah, the, the woman's wife, her husband, he still died. So God can't go back and erase those things. <clears throat> and so today I feel like God's pleading with us to say don't let pride excuse me, take you somewhere that I never wanted you to go. It's not too late for you. And the difference between <clears throat> Satan and Jesus is, is this. When we were reading Isaiah 14, 13 through 15, it said that Satan began to have the I will attitude, right? I will do this. I will do this. It, it, the focus became on him. It was his pride. But in Luke 14, it says that for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, <coughs> and those who humble themselves 
will be exalted. Jesus was the opposite, obviously, of the devil. And Jesus, the Bible describes him, it said that Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross, that he took on sin and shame and, and everything that the world threw at him, he, that he humbled himself, though he was God, though he could have at any moment declared, it's about me, I am God, I am the Messiah, that he humbled himself, and he never put the focus on him. And what was Jesus' words? His words weren't, I will, his words were, thy will be done. Jesus was in the garden. He was struggling with what he had to go through, that he was going to have to go to the cross, that he was going to have to take on the world's thing. What did he say? He said, God, I don't want to do this. The focus became on him for just a minute. I don't want to go through this. I know what I'm going to have to endure. I know what it's going to be like. But at the end of that prayer, he said, but God, not my will, but thy will be done. And today, the answer to pride is simply humility. That's it. You know, last week we went through some steps about how we can overcome lust in our life. How do you overcome pride in your life? Get close to God. Because the prouder you are, the further you fall from God. The more pride that you have, have, the further away you get from God. (coughs) Because it said he detests the proud. But then the Bible says, but he gives grace to the humble. And the Bible says that when we get close to God and we humble ourselves before him, that he accepts us, that he embraces us. And when we draw close to him with a humble heart, that he draws close to us. 